you're listening to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you transmute your trauma with comedy. Yes, take your pain and play with it. That's what Charlie Chaplin said, and that's what I'm learning from the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm your host, Nancy Norton. I'm studying therapeutic humor. I am a registered nurse who's now a comedian. As many of you know, I got out of nursing. Why? To save lives. That's right. I'm healing with humor now. It's better this way. I think I'm more effective in this role. I am a very intuitive nurse. I come from five generations of nurses, and I do know what you need, okay? I do. I tune in. I know what you need, but I also have ADHD, and I forget to do it. So it's better that I'm doing this and not being incident report Norton. I am also doing shows for nurses around the country. I'm starting out here in Colorado. Our next show is in Fort Collins, Colorado, February 11th, 2024. That is Super Bowl Sunday. So, so hey, go Chiefs. Just have to say that on behalf of my mother and everybody, all my kinfolk in the Ozarks, here we go. Here we go, Chiefs. Here we go. Well, I'm doing a comedy show. I'm not going to be watching it because I accidentally scheduled a comedy show. <laughs> On Super Bowl Sunday. The next show is going to be in Colorado Springs, Colorado, March 28th. And then we'll be back in Boulder, Colorado, March 29th for Nurses Off the Charts. And let me know how this podcast is landing with you. We have amazing guests coming up. I want to thank all the Growlix guys that are my first three guests this season. Here we are, this episode with the amazing Ben Roy coming up in just about three or four seconds. Next week, we have an amazing guest, a therapist who specializes in dream therapy, meditations, all kinds of good stuff. Thanks for tuning in to Traumedy. Let's heal ourselves and others. Welcome to Traumedy. My guest this week is Ben Roy. Ben Roy. You may know him from Those Who Can't, the sitcom, The Spells, Punk Band, and The Growlix Saves the World, and so much more. Thank you so much, Ben, for being on Tromedy. Uh, stop it. Thank you for having <laughs> me on Tromedy. And we we went through a bit of trauma to get this going, So we, but we, but we figured it out. <laughs> I had to do some parasympathetic resets already. I try to teach my listeners because we, you know, we traumatize people as we go along with the podcast. We're here to help heal, but first let's wound people a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we did a really good job. I think we did a really good job. I think we figured it out. I think we worked together as a team, you know. There was the bonding, and this is part of what I study with therapeutic humor bonding aspects of humor it really does bring us together that's what i'm saying i mean we came together on this i think i think we learned stuff about each other i think how we handle difficult situations that's crucial that's yeah. a huge thing so um but i went yeah. into what did i go into i think i went into freeze mode i i was telling you like i can't read on a good day i have my eyes are on two different lines and then when i'm a little anxious it's like oh information won't go in so I was trying to troubleshoot. In Either way, meantime. this works. This works really well. Yeah, I can hear you. And then we're going to have three sources of, of MP3 files. It's all going to come together we're beautifully. We're going to have so much audio. You're not even going to know what to do with all the audio. Yeah, <laughs> we have so much. We have audio coming in from several different sources. And it's going to be from the clouds, from the TikToks, from everywhere. So, But we did it. 
Well, but we anyway. did it. And you know, you are demonstrating one of the things I love about you is that you are one to reach a hand out to help another person in need. You know, I've seen it. You're an ally. You're an ally to women. You're an ally to the non-binary elders like Uncle Nance. And I mean, you've offered, what have you, you do jujitsu. You've offered like self-defense classes. Yeah. I, thank you for, you know, being, you know, of service uh, along with like, here you are this, you know, famous comedian. I mean, you're famous. People know you around the world from all the stuff. You've done so much. You're a prolific artist. Um, oh. Because, let's face it, I'm studying post-traumatic gifts, and the more trauma you have, the more gifts you have. So <laughs> congratulations, Ben. <laughs> is that true? Oh, man. I know uh, some... There is some correlation. I feel like, I feel like though, there is a tipping point where, <laughs> where y you have to find that sweet spot. <laughs> I feel like there's a Venn well, diagram there. You know, I, I, I know what you're saying, and, and I don't have the uh, bell curve on that or anything, but I will tell you, <laughs> not everyone that experiences trauma gets post-traumatic gifts, but I think it's possible. And I, they, I think that's what I want to show with this podcast is like how comedians have taken their pain and play, we play with it. That's what Charlie Chaplin said to do. Take your pain and play with it. And I really think that people that do that intuitively um, can show people who maybe don't have that knack. That's what we want to do here. This is not necessarily a comedy podcast, but I, I'm using comedians because most of my friends are wounded in some way. <laughs> yeah. and, and yet they've taken that wound and they've, they've put it into art and they've expressed it instead of, oops, I got to put my phone on silent. Oh, for crap's sake. <laughs> I ruined Christmas. Come on. <laughs> Turn it off. Put it in the bag. No, I'm just kidding. I'm the worst with phones. Like, I, if Adam and Andrew, my the, the dudes that I do the Grolic Saves the World podcast with, if they saw me criticizing that, they would. The, the sweet irony of it. Uh, but well, I'm in my garage studio, which is a workbench basically, and I have a, a space heater underneath me, and so I'm like, I'm cold from the waist up, but that's okay. I was like letting my nose run. I have plumbers coming over today to <laughs> clean out the main sewer line, so you know, it's all about balance. Here we are, yeah, comedians. I'm not. I'm not it's a your famous. Hot, it's your hot person winner. That's what you're doing. You're living your best life. It's your year of yes. Welcome everybody into your home. Uh, no, I I love I love what you're doing. I want to say I I I love the idea of this. I want to say uh, you said I'm an ally to women or uh, uh, and and you know non-binary or or you know uh, gender queer folk or what have you. Uh, I I was I'm a Dude, and I grew up in a very rural area, and I was taught very, very toxic views towards women. And, you know, I mean, I just grew up in a very, like, uh, economically depressed small town in the middle of nowhere. And so I think there's a part of me that is always trying to make up for, like, the things that I didn't stand up for when I was younger or the things I said on my own. You know, when I was a teenager and growing up, I think there's I have a, a lot of guilt about, you know, uh, how we treated people who were different. And I would consider myself fairly progressive for where I grew up. And even then, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if you grow up in a small 
town that where there's not a lot of diversity or information you know yeah. uh, uh, i know I, I grew up you know in the in the ozarks and i oh, also shit. feel in fact i mean during you know i've been doing psychedelic therapy uh trauma therapy and i'm having these sort of like i would say psychic experiences or i mean connecting with my ancestors and i was told like i have a i have i've been charged a little bit with helping make amends for some of my ancestral damage and i'm like okay and i mean who knows i mean i do believe in reincarnation so i may have been one of those motherfuckers that did the stuff you know as i look at the patriarchy and white privilege and everything i yeah. definitely have had past life stuff where i was a white male so i'm just saying there's a lot to make up for and i yeah. do have a lot of i have the guilt and i also was like what is mine to do and not just do it you know like walk the talk like how do i how do i help even the playing field in this in this society you know and i i don't know i mean i'm doing my best um, yeah to, to I think do we, a living amends we, we all are and i think like uh, i think uh, uh I think you do an amazing job as being, uh, of being uh, a funny, insightful, vulnerable. Uh, I don't like the term non-threatening because I don't want you to think that in any way I'm saying you're passive. But you, you know, you do a very good job of of being very disarming to people that I think are would probably be uncomfortable with what you're talking about on stage. But you come across as so funny and easy to approach about uh, it and accepting. Like, I think they, because maybe maybe I could ask you this. I'll interview just a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Take jumping the in the driver's seat. <laughs> Did you do you find that you because you grew up because I the Maine is the Ozarks of the Northeast. I, do yeah. you do you find that you have a, more of a tolerance and an understanding of a lot of viewpoints that may be farther like more center and farther right because you grew up around that and you know the people it comes from and they may be family and you know. uh, yeah absolutely I agree I I definitely I'm guessing you have the same insights yeah. but lately I've been saying on stage like I'm trying to bring us back together because I grew up in the Ozarks and I live in Boulder and I call myself a hypocrite but I do understand the especially also with my recovery work, so much of it is from survival traits, right? right? And all the men in my family tended to be the Republicans. And I get that that's like they're, they're protectors and there's sort of a fear-based mentality. And then the nurturers, the women, and this is, again, not to gender because I'm sort of in the middle. That's why I also understand gender because I do feel non-binary. So I, I grew up thinking I was a boy trapped in a woman's body. And now I feel like I'm just... Uh, you know, trapped in a body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're I'm just all a in spirit a... trapped in a body now. But you know what I'm saying, though? We're I definitely get it. I get casing. it. And I'm trying to, like, get the left hand to touch the right hand and go, look, we need... And tell me what you think of this joke, because I really would like your feedback on this. Is this... <laughs> is this I know, I really would like to know. Right. Like, all I right. am trying this, and I've done this in Sterling, Colorado, where there's, like, a Trump sign every block, and I followed a big truck that said eat more beef you know and here i am this like <laughs> hypocrite vegetarian going in there to like do an hour at the country club so i definitely i think out of survival have learned to like hey don't kill me um <laughs> but i did this bit there and i was like hey we need everybody you know 
I am a vegetarian. I march for peace. Uh, but if the shit goes down, I will be hiding behind my brother's gun safe eating a squirrel. <laughs> and that is true. I am not kidding. If the Civil War, if we get into another, I will be back in the Ozarks. Like my dad lived on squirrel and fish in the Great Depression. And I get that he's of that survival mentality. Anyway, what do you, what do you think of that? Is that too suck that up joke. to the right? or No, I love that joke. It's honest. Like here's the, here's the conversation because I haven't eaten red meat, pork, or chicken since I was 19. I do eat fish because of a stomach issue that greatly limited the amount of food, I, the types of food I can eat. Um, but, but like, I do understand, I've heard like Anthony Bourdain talk about, well, it's the privilege of a wealthy culture to, to not have, you know, to not have to eat meat. And it, he's right. We do have that luxury. Like yeah. we, we do in the United States. I don't view other cultures who subsist off of hunting and gathering food because they have to, or they eat meat because that's the food that's available to them. I don't, I don't expect anybody in any culture, including our own to adhere to the same diet I do or my views on animal welfare. But, uh, we do have the opportunity in our culture. We have a food infrastructure that can now make synthetic meats and proteins and things like that. So shouldn't we do it if we have the ability to, to do that, to, to be more mindful of other, an, like of animals and how we treat animals. If we have the ability to do that, it's always said like, it's a bad thing. I don't get that. I don't either. That is interesting to me too. Like, why do I have such, why do I feel so compelled to do the next, you know, right thing that I can do to lower my carbon footprint, to like limit the suffering I'm causing. And I don't understand. I can't seem to get that. Like what you do see here, I mean, we both have white privilege and trying to, I feel like even when I was in Nepal for six months, there was a part of me that just was trying to give away my white privilege. You know what I mean? Like trying yeah. my best not to, I mean, I can't, I, I mean, I can't. But that's, that would be your white guilt, right? <laughs> like that. I guess so, but I don't know. There's also this feeling of oneness where like when this, you know, these people there, I don't know, it's just a complicated conversation when you go into another yeah. country, yeah. but let's just say in this country where we have so much privilege and when we willingly, like I never argue with the flavor of bacon or corned beef or a Vienna sausage, even, you know what I mean? Like these are things I miss eating. I know Vienna yeah. sausage is a weird call. Uh, spam. Actually, I ate a lot of spam. Oh, spam's in, delicious. God, fried spam, rice and eggs. I used to ah, eat. Ah, God, that's, why, that's islandy stuff right there. I, I used to live in Hawaii for like five years. And I, I mean, that is what I miss, but I'm like, I don't understand why, like, I'm just willing to, like, it just isn't, it, honestly, it's just, it doesn't taste good enough to offset the uh, suffering, I know. Yeah, you know, when I'm home, my, my, my stepfather is a very avid outdoorsman and hunter, and when I'm home, they, they, you know, he'll get a deer a year or so, and he'll give away some meat, and they have, they have a deep freezer, and they, they have sausages and steaks, and I'll have a game like venison, uh, when I'm home, uh, because I do like the taste. Um, but, uh, it always is weird to me because they also just will eat like deli meats and things like that. And 
So I'm like, it, it is for sport f for him, but he is taking the meat. They are using it, and he does give away a, a portion of it to people who may need it. And, and I so. really, I respect hunters. My brother's a hunter. He also raised his own cows, and I mean, from babies. And I'm like, wow, that's like a pet, you know? But he, if you're able to feed your own cows or you're a, I don't know. I shouldn't, again, it's not for me no. to judge. You're right. I'm starting. There's a judgment in there, but I, I definitely feel like as far as the continuum goes of animal, it's a lot for me. It's about animal suffering. And I think that's comes from my trauma where I'm over, maybe not over, but I'm identifying with the animals. I totally am identifying. Sure. I'm imagining what it would be like. And I'll like, Ooh, I would not like that. <laughs> so, but I also think about hunters. I know there's a lot less suffering you know, they're out there having a good day and then they don't even know they just left. I, I mean, maybe their spirit knows, but whatever. I do believe I, I, one thing I, I love, you know, I respect about hunters and, and my stepfather is a prime example. He knows uh, the suffering that goes into taking a life of, a, of an animal. My stepfather, uh, when I was there one day, uh, grazed this deer at, with the with the shot. It didn't put the deer down. And he was because he, and he knew because it was a blood trail and it was my my stepfather was in that woods at dawn all day looking for this deer. And it wasn't because he wanted the deer. He was so upset that this yeah. deer was out there suffering. And he would just be like that thing. You know, he's a very stoic, like outdoorsman, like big main redneck, you know, and he was like that. Nah, I don't like that. Knowing that animals out there just suffering. I don't. And he he bothered him. My mother was like, yeah. he doesn't sleep. And so, yeah, they have a conscience. It's not that they don't. And again, no, they have a very interesting relationship with wildlife. There's a there's a reverence. Yes, a lot more intimate than yes. going to the store and getting some cellophane plastic wrapped steak or something. Yeah. But but anyway, yeah. but I wonder. I wonder. You know, along these lines, though, do you feel that? And I know just from hearing you on an NPR interview that you've had some severe trauma in your childhood and, and who, and, and probably a lot of other stuff that just goes along with our culture that's traumatizing. But do you feel that trauma gives you more compassion? Um, having experienced some powerlessness uh, or a betrayal of trust on a level that's like yeah. life changing. Yeah. The, the, I mean, I definitely, I don't like, seeing people hurt i don't like seeing people sad i mean and i think you're this probably the same way because i spent a lot i've spent a fair majority of my life feeling hurt and sad and i know what that feels like and i don't like seeing that look on other people's faces and, and in their body in their posture and in their body language i i hate seeing that the hard part is i don't know if you felt this like I'm like, I also get overwhelmed by other people's emotions. So it's mm -hmm. like, I, I often reach out and I, and I engage, but then I also in the process of them giving me their pain and telling me it, I often find it's very overwhelming to me. Like I feel, yeah. because I'm sure like you do, I feel yeah. some of that. It's, it's, for, you know. It triggers and certain things. It's yeah. The, the gift of the, it is one of the gifts of empathy uh, <laughs> that keeps on giving. And I do think that's some skill that needs to get worked on as far as 
I'm trying to differentiate between compassion and empathy, which is a part of my life work. Right now I have a spiritual mentor who's trying to help me, you know, hear people, have compassion, but not take it into my body and, you know, have to process it too much or get stuck in here, you know? Right. And then, uh, but that's tricky, you know, because I I don't feel like I'm doing uh, right by someone if I'm not really imagining what they're feeling exactly like if i'm not if i'm not carrying a little bit of the cross with them you know what i mean like if i'm not helping them that i'm just watching them drag it and i feel like well that's not fair you shouldn't have to do that alone but i do think there is a lot to be said for they have their stuff on their side of the table you have your stuff on your side of the table it's okay to talk about what's in front of them but it doesn't mean you have to move it to your pile, right? You don't have to yeah. like slide it over. You- yeah, and I've been doing work with recovering from codependency. And there's a little bit like I'm actually having to face some of my own arrogance around it. Like I'm the healer that's going to heal yeah. you and you can't heal yourself. And what am I saying to these? You know, like I really need to get it in my head once and for all that people uh, are equally empowered. Everyone can heal themselves and I can be there and support and also connect them with tools that have helped me, but I don't, I am not responsible for them. And that's not empowering them. I mean, exactly. I have to really I, look I, at that. I agree. I think one of the worst things that you can steal from a person who's trying to heal from something is the actual healing, like the actual, like <laughs> taking their pain from them or trying to, or trying to do the work for them you're robbing them of a very important part of the experience of healing, which is, I mean, the pain is important. It, it, it wouldn't be there. I read this fantastic book called An Anatomy of Pain. And, um, and it's basically by a, 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 a pain specialist, a doctor who works in a, a chronic pain facility. That's what he does is deals with people who have moved from you know, I broke my leg pain to non-specific site pain and, uh, you know, chronic pain throughout their lives. And he talks about how we we redefined what pain meant. Like for for centuries, pain carried a lesson with it or there was just some biofeedback. Exactly. Just like, oh, that needs to get, you know, moved away from the heat. And right. Or I need to alter the way I live to deal to deal with this. Or I need to learn to live through it and breathe through it and learn meditation techniques and things like that that ultimately help you cope better. And we just got to pain bad. Get rid of pain. Pain is all bad. Like, yeah. And satiate pain. Get rid of it. Dull it. Numb it. Do whatever you can. Let it run your life. Yes. R- work around pain. And Ooh. It, it's it's really profound insight on like we need to – and that's what he does in his clinic. Not only – I mean he works with – you know, there are certain uh, procedures and things. But he really – once somebody gets to the chronic pain level, what he tries to do is really try to get them to redefine what their pain is and what it means And like practice meditation and mindfulness to not run from the pain, to try to sit in it and and in through meditation, analyze what your pain is, where it's coming from and, and, and how do you work through it? How do you live with it? Because it's chronic pain. It's not going anywhere. 
Right. And, and to and, and and you know what you're saying, I love the term like dialogue with it and let it speak to you because maybe it's chronic because it's not feeling heard. You know, like right. what is it trying to tell you that you're not hearing and it's having it's sort of like all I mean, when I've done a lot of my inventory and my recovery work is just seeing these patterns and the universe just trying to tell me over and over and over and clearly I didn't get the message, but the patterns are so obvious now. And I am finally breaking those patterns about, and that's mostly emotional pain, which isn't that your body, your brain doesn't know the difference. I mean, I didn't even know this till recently that ibuprofen actually does help emotional pain as well. Yeah. That, that messed with my mind because I was like, what? Anyway, back to your, that, so I want to put that book in the show notes. Anat, what is it again? Anatomy? An anatomy of pain. That's what it's called. How the body and the mind experience and endure physical pain. And basic physical suffering. Uh, but basically, it also relates, you know, uh, at 2020, I, you know, we, we, we all lost everything. And, I, and my, my marriage to Crystal, who I'm very good friends with, that was my ex-wife. And I only use her first name is because you know her very well, Nancy. She's yeah. wonderful. And she's a, wonderful. And still one of my closest friends, if not, I'll say she's my best friend. I don't know. But I, uh, I love her to death. And losing... That, that was a part of my identity. Everybody knew us together and that divorce. And I remember like, I don't drink anymore, you know? And, and I was like, I'm going to stay sober through this. I'm going to go through it. And man, there were some, like, I don't even like, uh, I don't even like talking about it. There were some dark nights uh, yeah. when I moved into it. I moved in, I rented a room from a person I don't know. I'm 41 years old. I'm have not been away from, I've not ever been single. I've always had girlfriends up until I met her when I was 20. And then we just were together the whole time. And there were some nights that were grueling mentally. Yeah. And I tried to, I literally would wrap my arms around myself, hug myself and yeah. repeat to myself. Like I was another person in the room. Like you're going to be okay. I got you. I got, I got you. You know, oh my like gosh, I, I, I have goosebumps right now, Ben, because I'm not kidding you. I was in a recovery meeting yesterday and you're reminding me like who, like you reminded me of Eckhart Tolle, first of all, where he, at the beginning of the power of now, and I, have you read the power of now? I have not. No. Oh, highly recommend. Um, but at the very beginning, he's, he's feeling, he's having suicidal ideation and he's like, I can't stand myself. And then he's like, who's that talking? Who like he started realizing voice? There's the witness to the dialogue and yeah. then there's the, and so then it's so wild. Yesterday in my recovery meeting, uh, I'm in an emotional sobriety program, uh, but the, uh, we were, we were working on some distorted thinking that roots back to trauma and childhood stuff, but it was like, what could you do? It's so weird what you just did. I said, well, I do this kind of, one of my therapists taught me this kind of butterfly hug, but literally it crosses midline in your brain. It's kind of a. It's kind of a reset thing for your, you know, just on a physiological level. But then also it's like, wh what do I need to hear from my higher power? Or what we're in my program, the solution is to become your own loving parent. So it's like, okay, what do I need? And it's like, I got you. That's what I need. I need, I need, I need to hear, I got you. That's yeah. so wild. That it you is, just but it's very embodied the exact thing. It was a weird moment where I realized I, I could be the arms that are wrapped around myself. Like yes. I, because I, there is a witness inside you. 
There is yes. a person who knows that you shouldn't be feeling that way about yourself. Oh, man. And I just want to validate you. And I know you don't need the validation, but it never hurts. I can't get validated enough at this side. So like, every <laughs> validate. I, I love but that. I love like a lot of times when I'm reading these books, like so many people, when I was going through a divorce and I was go, I went from living in a dream house. I spent five years building up in Sunshine Canyon. I mean, on a 10 acre property, I spent five years like manifesting this home and this family with uh, the person I was with 11 years, blah, blah, blah. But all I'm saying is, um, sorry, I got the garage. It's cold out here. I need a tissue. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but that seriously, I hit bottom in 2007 after a horror. I mean, and I, lucky for you, you you guys had a reasonable breakup. But even it was so, great. I had a reasonable divorce. Also, and divorce is one of the hardest things to go through in life. But I, this one was particularly like I lost this. Like not only my dream house, I also had a two year old. I had no job. I. I, but I, I was just, I really did not know. I didn't, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to kill myself. I had a toddler. I'm like, I can't, I can't even take a nap when I want to. I can't kill myself. Yeah. But you know, it's not practical. <laughs> when you, when you, when you get out, yeah. When you divorce out of a long-term relationship, you obliterate the past, the present and the future. Everything. The you, dreams. Yeah. yeah. The whole family, the idea of the family. But what kidding? I was getting at, like at that time, like literally gasoline talked to me. Like it kept asking me like, just, just get down here when you're pumping your gas and this will end the pain. I mean, it's swear to God. I yeah. don't know how my brain was like knowing this. And I was like, I'm not going to do it. it. Plus there's people around, you know? And then I worked as a job where I had access to these huge bottles of Klonopin and my brain was like, chew it, chew it. And I'm like, no, I can't, I got a baby. Yep. And then, um, but then two, three friends at the same, I love this about the universe. Uh, I believe we live in a loving universe. And then my friend, George McClure, who's a, I, is one of my dear friends. He's like, have you read the power of now? My friend, Patricia Raycraft, who has since passed on, but is amazing trauma therapist is like, have you read the power of now? And then I don't know, a third person. I was like, okay, I got to read the power of now. And that, that book changed my life, like changed everything, but also validated so much. You know, don't you love that when you ever do? I don't know if you read self-help, yeah. but when you oh, read yeah. it and it's mainly you, mainly a lot of times we just get validation. It's like, oh yeah, that's, well, yeah, they're articulating something you knew intuitively. Because the hard, some of the times the hardest part of it is that you feel isolated in your thinking. You think you're crazy. I'm going nuts. I'm losing my mind. <sighs> And then you read a book and someone says, nah, you're not, this is, <laughs> you're, you're not that your pain isn't that unique. It's yes, it's a universal and, experience and you're going to be okay. There is a way through it, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's what we're doing with traumedy is showing people who maybe, cause so many people get isolated with trauma and they do. We all think, especially when we get into distorted thinking that this is, you know, the worst, it's dark, it's such dense, dark energy. And, you know, Eckhart talks about the pain body, uh, which wants to live. And it's a part of us that sort of is familiar that persists, but there's a way through it. And one of the ways is through expressing with art. That's just a couple, I mean, trauma therapy, obviously, I don't know if you've, did you ever do any trauma therapy? Yeah. I mean, I've been in therapy in one way or another since I was 15, 14, I mean, uh, I started 
yeah, having panic attacks when I was very young. Uh, so, yeah, I've gone, I've done some EMDR. I want to do more. I would love to try some psychedelic therapy because those are the, the avenues that I haven't. But like, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and, uh, you know. Um, so that's, I mean, this is not, I, mean, I guess what I'm doing here is like, hey, this is not a replacement for trauma therapy to do that deeper work. But what I say is it'll get you by between sessions. <laughs> right, know? right, right. And, and that's, that, and that's, a, and those are long gaps, right? Sometimes, you know, but uh, I, I highly, oh, go ahead. You, Sorry. No, no. I just want to say I highly recommend psychedelic therapy. I did EMDR and brain spotting, which are similar uh, mm -hmm. trauma therapies. And I did brain spotting for almost a decade. And I mean, that's a long time. And I could not get to the, f the last layer. I just didn't want to see it. I couldn't, even with therapy and uh, crossing midline and everything. And then I did the psychedelic therapy. And I mean, it was, oh, it was like 10 years of therapy in six hours. Uh, highly recommend it. Yeah. That's all I was going to say. You know what I've been loving uh, that's becomes, you, you were talking about it at the beginning, is all of the stuff about like somatic uh, therapy and movement, moving the body yeah. and sympathetic and parasympathetic breathing. Uh, I, that kind of stuff. No, nothing has changed my life for the better more outside of my son and family but outside of that I had a better therapeutic response than jujitsu and i was always like what is it about brazilian jujitsu it's just the movement it's it's just a lot of movement a lot of being contorted and bent into weird positions and a ton of deep breathing because i'm gasping for air and a ton of present being very present right here right now you have to be yeah i call it yoga with consequences because <laughs> because, because if i because yoga i would go and they they're 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 very much like well if you don't feel it you can get out of that position you don't have to do it but jujitsu is like no you can't you're gonna get your face choked you're gonna get choked you're gonna get your <sighs> arm pulled on like you're going to get your arm bent back. There's a lot of consequences to it. And I find what happens is I stay very present. I don't, I'm not thinking of the things I came in with. And I find that 90 minutes away from that, where you take your mind off of that is like, it's like somebody took their thumb off a bruise that they've been just grinding. Uh. It. It's just a relief. You know, you're like, I'm not, I'm not, uh, forcing myself to, to think like that. It, it's, uh, you know, I, it, it's, I want to real quick, you were talking about wanting to lean down enough gas like that. <laughs> when I get into those thoughts of spiraling and really thinking, and I don't go to jujitsu and I don't have that movement thing, man, there, there is no organ in the human body that has more lawyers than the dopamine gland. That yeah. that will argue for you to go back to bad behaviors. It'll make a brilliant case for you to <laughs> anesthetize yourself. Just let me, your dopamine gland is like, just let me do my job. I'll flood your body with it. Huff gas, <laughs> drink, it, like seek the 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 company of bad of people that are toxic for you, things that are familiar, and I'll flood your body with feel good chemicals, right? It, it just argues, it makes a great argument constantly. And it, 
It's that addiction loop, that addiction loop, man, it's powerful. It and is. I hear this term. I've never heard the term of uh, dopamine gland. I mean, <laughs> it, <laughs> it's a gland to me. It's a thing that can be squeezed. <laughs> so in your mind, it's a gland, like like the adrenal gland. Yes. Like I'm an adrenaline addict. I'm an adrenaline addict. I know that for sure because I, I mean, I'm not a rock climber. I don't do high risk. Like I don't like jumping out of planes or physical things. But emotionally, you know, I love always running late. I love getting on stage and not being prepared and just you, like digging a hole. I love digging a hole on stage and like, let me alienate everybody for a minute and see if I can get them back, you know? <laughs> and I don't do that as much as I used to, but that is definitely a sign of an adult child. Um, you, 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 we as comics, you and I both do it and every comic does it. Like if they're not skydiving and doing other shit, they'll tell somebody who does that stuff. Oh, I'm not as crazy as you. And that person will look at us and go, you get up on stage and stand in <laughs> that is terror invoking to people. It is the number one fear. And yet, yeah. And so when, when you do it and you bring so much energy and expression and I love, it, it's like your time to shout and same probably with your punk band, the spell, like you just, that can get all that like rage or upset or whatever out of you. Uh, man, that's that's cool. Do you? How does that feel for you when that when you're doing that? And has anything shifted over the? How many years have you been doing stand up and and music? I mean, I've been, those are two part I, questions. I, I, yeah, I started playing music when I was 15, and then I just had my 20th year in stand up, so I started at 24 doing stand up. But music, there is nothing. I, that's the the only way I know how to process. Like um, pain, that's the creative outlet was writing lyrics and writing songs. And when I'm really into a song, there's like a, there's a tone in my voice that comes out. Like my band knows it. Like there's a part in one song where it's, you know, like where I'm saying like uh, this may be, we have a, another female singer for people who don't know the band. It's, there's two singers. It's myself and, a, and a, uh, my friend Dawn. And she's going, uh, it must be all just due to boredom. And I'm going, uh, but it's mine. And in the recording version, I'm singing it. But live, it comes out as like, but I'm fine. I'm fine. Like I lose <laughs> it. And like, yeah. and I feel it, but I feel so good afterwards. <laughs> yes. Like afterwards. And it's, it's, it, it's the most raw, authentic like part that just needs to say it again and again. Like sometimes with trauma, I feel like you can't say it too much. You know, sometimes like if yeah. you need a place to like, I'm fine. And yeah. then I, it's so weird. You're my mother. We have a thing where we kind of mocked my mom, which is, you know, I'm fine, which means, I mean, she was never fine. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know she had some severe trauma from her infancy that she passed on to me in my infancy. And it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. It's this total throat chakra blocked thing where we all have thyroid disease in my family because we can't speak our divine truth. Right. But I'm, I'm breaking the pattern now, right? And yeah. I'm starting to say I have some trauma from my mama, which I couldn't say out loud until last year when she died. So there's freedom, but you have freedom. Do you have anything that... Uh, 
Is there anything for you like that you still feel like you can't speak your whole truth about? Yeah. Are there things that you still feel like you have to stuff a little bit to protect other people? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll open up about that because I'm going through that right now because it's embarrassing to me. Um, but I, you know, uh, my therapist, uh, you know, a bit ago, and it's happened before, I have uh, love addiction tendencies. You know, I, I tend to... Uh, struggle with um, like uh, being very addicted to love and what I think is love, what I'm realizing is not love. Uh, but it, 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 I, I, that is a constant struggle and it's embarrassing to talk about. Like, uh, and I don't have shame about talking about alcoholism, which I, you know, I've been 13 years free from alcohol and and I don't have a problem talking about the things that I did the things that the love addiction part of me have brought out are so much more mild they're not as egregiously irresponsible and self-destructive seeming on the surface and whatnot but I I get obsessive over thing unhealthy relationships yeah. healthy relationships are very difficult for me like I struggle to f gain traction in them big time. Like I, it's almost like I can't ramp myself up. And there's a part of my brain that's not, I know is not getting the hit that it needs. Yeah, you, you know I get I mean? that. I really get that. And, you know, um, I have been in a recovery program for codependency and the only goal, the only goal for that program is to have a healthy, loving relationship. And it doesn't always say this, but of equals. And I don't, I just didn't know how, like there's some part of me that is almost was addicted to the familiarity of, I would all say almost like duplicitousness yeah. where I have these kind of odd love, hate uh, relationships. And, and it's always like, you know, either one up or one down, but rarely just like this, this, the slow grow of equals. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it's no, kind of it is. You know, I mean, it, it, I think I grew up, I realized, you know, I, I read attached. Um, and I, just a second, my dog Jackson every day is shocked that the mailman shows up. <laughs> it's brand new every day to this dog. And he's just like, <laughs> who is this man? With Jackson, <laughs> is we, this? See, we see him every day. Um, no, <laughs> it, I like I, I found um, that where was I? My God, my brain farted. Oh. Well, we were we were just saying about like the slow grow of like an equal healthy relationship. Yeah, and how that the, dis oh, the duplicitousness yeah. is a little more like exciting or yeah, addictive. I, or well, I read attached, and I realized like. And I love my mother. I, before I say this, like disclaimer, my mom and I have done a lot of work and now my mom and I are very close. But growing up, I was, uh, we did not have a good relationship. My mother was very, very hard on me. And we, we fought, argued, screamed. I mean, we had cops called on us. It was like slamming doors, you know, like just, and it, disrupted the household for my dad and my brother because they were like, you two were maniacs. We just always got after each other. And I realized I sort of took that, my that was how my mom loved me. 
Like yeah. my, my mom loved me by like, it was very much like either my mom was like, I love you, but I don't like you. Or my mom was like, thought I was the greatest thing in the world. And that became my definition of love, like of what the opposite, how the opposite sex, perhaps the biggest, greatest symbol of women in any human being's lives should be their mom. You know, like it should be, that's your first, that's the person you survive off of. And so it's a lot of imprinting, Ben, yeah. you know, you got to be really compassionate with yourself around that. Cause that's some very deep imprinting. It's hard. And, and, and we come in, I don't understand the soul agreement. I'm, I go spiritual sometimes and I that's apologize right. if go, that's annoying, go spiritual. but I, I do believe there's these soul agreements and I don't, I definitely know I have some history with that, my mother. Cause I just, like, I just came in with that. We had a lot of just, I just think she hated me and I, but she also cared for me. She nurtured me and it was, exactly. so that is complicated. It took when I got uh, older for my, you know, my mom and I have had it out. And then when I got sober and I started like going to a lot of like substance abuse therapy and like reading a lot more and demanded apologies and demanded like, I don't want you going to, I did the best I could and making it about, oh, I guess I'm a bad parent and your guilt shit that doesn't help anything like just yeah. fucking say you're sorry you know what i mean just like yeah. that's all i wanted just say you're fucking sorry like yeah and and, you and, fucked and, up. and acknowledge it yeah i mean it would be nice on. to do a, a a living amends is also helpful like with my son i have you know that imprinting the shame-based learning and i have heard that shame voice come through me that is my mother's voice at this beautiful child who is you know, he has ADHD, but he's not ever malicious. And I treat him sometimes like he's the enemy because he didn't keep his word about something. And it really, it, it, I get scared. I, I mean, I overreact to small things. Like I'm like, I feel unsafe because you didn't honor your word. Anyway, I have to, yeah. <laughs> I try, I'm changing my behavior, but I also like pretty much have to regularly make an amends to him. Like, I am so sorry. You do not deserve that. Did not belong to you. I know you're, yeah. you know. Yeah. You don't deserve any of that energy. Yeah. It took me a while to like, uh, to start realizing like, oh, I'm conflating, um, like drama or, or, uh, distress and tumultuousness with love and yeah. passion. Like that I assume, well, if this person is angry at me, they're passionate about me. Passionate. Yeah. And that isn't true at all. <laughs> you know, like sometimes they're insecure and jealous or trying to control you or they you're not a good match. That's been the hardest part throughout all of this is that there's a natural avoidancy that has come with the sexual abuse and stuff that that I experienced, like this avoidant behavior and I'm always having to figure out, like, am I being avoidant or is this actually an issue? I know. That's the hard part. Like, is this part of my survival? Like, yeah, your attachment issue or is this person? Is this a and bad know thing that... on their part that I, sh is this a red flag? <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, I do. I absolutely do know that it's so hard to think about putting on certain uh, traumatized filters and uh, it confusing the red and the green flags. I, I definitely get that. And I think that speaks to like why we need, need to take our time, you know, in relation, at least for me, I'm going to say it. I shouldn't speak for you. I just need to take my time and not in the past. Um, 
I've also, I've like go from zero, like, like I'll meet someone and then it's like, we're together. And I mean, we're to, and then we're just together and we mer, I'm a merger. And then, you know, pretty soon you start seeing those familiar patterns like, ah, I did it again. I don't know how I find these. I mean, there is an amazing way of of having an affinity for these people. And I, I mean, there it's, I, I used to call it complimentary issues, but then my ex called it uncomplimentary issues, which I think was better. Yeah, that's actually really that. Like it, I think right now my newest challenge, you know, because I I'm not saying I'll ever have alcohol. I I will never say I have alcohol alcoholism under control. Like I uh, I always keep my guard up. I'm always, you know, aware of it, even though it's been 13 years and those cravings just aren't the same as they were before. I'm still always aware of it. But I feel like that's fairly in order for me for the most part. Like, okay, I I can stand fairly stable on that and getting divorced. And now I'm dating. I'm like, oh, this is the thing that this is the battle right now is. I want to have companionship. How do I do that? How do I stay patient? How do I understand no one's perfect? Respecting and lo- and understanding trauma is caring when you love someone else. Like being patient with their issues is a way of showing love, you know, and that is an yeah. important part of love. But also, like, at what point does it cross the line where you're like, this is not safe for you and, and it's not a good situation? Like, that has been exceptionally hard for me like I'm confused I get very confused very easily yeah you know and if I may I going back to what you're talking about somatic you may oh you may (laughs) (laughs) you know and yeah that's something in my recovery work I'm I I have a tendency to offer advice without being asked which is probably I I had a Facebook uh I started a Facebook thing a while back like unsolicited advice which i i should have followed through with because i just need some place to put it right but that you already were you were talking earlier about somatic and you know body the body doesn't lie is something i've heard and i am really and it's taken and here i am in my 60s now and i'm just now like trusting my gut and it's it's really cool like it's okay for us to feel safe um, and I'm not going to, I tend to, in the past, what I would do, like the last relationship I had that was five years of not, I knew in my gut, I did not feel safe with that person. And I kept talking myself out of it and trying to intellectualize it. And maybe if he gets well, or if he does this trauma therapy, or, you know, we start communicating this way, I just rationalized it because I wanted it. I don't know. How does it feel to you? Do you ever resource your gut on, uh, like that, maybe no, give, because give my gut the is final say? my gut is how I do everything. I I write, I don't write analytically. I watch joke writers who write one-liner jokes. You know, set up punchline, set up punchline, and I marvel at that because I, I don't do that. I'm kind of a, you know what I mean? It's like a. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. I love it. And I love it. This is what I, I mean, this is my jam, man. This, this and I format, do respect the joke writers too. Yeah. I love, I love like Zach Reiner. I mean, I love, I'm just like, what? You know, I just adore his writing. It, yeah. it, I mean, it also has a lot of emotion behind it, but I, I appreciate what you're saying. Like, I love your, I love that you're just Same. direct. That's why I love your style of comedy. It's, it's, it's clearly coming from your heart. And that's so it's like, I love that. And yeah, like Zach Reiner, I, I would regularly open for Anthony Jeselnik, who is one of the best at crafting misdirect jokes 
on the planet. Like it just structurally his jokes are beautiful. And I watched that, but I can't do that. It all just kind of is like, a, I just kind of bark it out when I'm, and then I write it down and I, and I've, and, and I do that in relationships very much. <sighs> I'm a eye contact. When I see somebody, it, it hits me. And then we start talking and I, if we intertwine our pain together and we trauma bond like that, like we uh, get trauma bond. Yeah. We get wrapped up and tangle our roots together. I'm fucked. Like I'm fucked for <laughs> years. Like, dude, that's, oh my God, I am writing a joke. I mean, I have a bit about like my new dating app, traumabond.com. You, know? um, <laughs> you get in quick and you can't get out. And you know, cause I have an affinity for sociopaths myself, but. Um, that's why I'm here, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I. I not a chance. But Dude, you have empathy, you have insight. You do not have any markers of sociopathy. Um, oh no. No, no, but no, I, but, but, but but what I think is comics that we get to do that is rare for entertainment um is acting a lot of music. There's a yeah. certain level of composure that you're required to keep. Like there are certainly like outliers and whatever, but like even beauty as a standard in in those other mediums are super important. The standards of beauty and of appearance in those comedy, we're almost encouraged to be the exact opposite. And the more yeah. you, pathos and the more pain you inject into your comedy, almost it makes you more important to human beings, like to the, to the listeners. That's beautiful. Like that. Yeah. And they, back to that post-traumatic, gifts you know like when your your wound is your superpower in a funny way yeah yeah it's like i think that it, i don't think that performance would have been as important to me if i wasn't as sad as i was it was yeah. a place um it was the i grew up in a hyper masculine environment where masculinity was currency and to degrade someone's masculinity a fellow boy was to steal or to uh take away their standard of status in a group like that was a way you could cut someone else down was hey you're gay you're this you're that anything that seemingly cut at somebody's masculinity and so i fought against that i put up a posture you know, that looked ridiculous. It was like an ill-fitting suit. I'm not that person. But when I started a band and I started screaming, even if it was stuff where I was showing that I felt it was about the pain other people were feeling, I was applauded for it by tough people. Ah. Like they were people that, uh, like people I looked up to said, oh, you're good at this. Like you can write, that's your thing. Like I was encouraged by the people that I wanted to accept me. And this was kind of a weird loophole of me being able to process um, emotions and be emotional in front of them without having them attacking that. Because if I just did it in conversation, 
I, it was like, what are you, fucking pussy? You know what I mean? You're a fucking pussy. Yeah, bud. and I, I'm, I'm getting what you're saying. It's like it's, it, you're allowed to have those feelings as long as they're couched in kind of a, a, bravado. a big bravado and rage, right? Like I can I can talk about the most tender thing. Or do you do yeah. you have tender songs yeah. as well? Or I literally I mean, wrote songs about friends of mine being adopted and the pain they went through, like, and oh, like yeah. finding, like I had a song that, called what did i miss in my first band i wrote a song called 10 cell that was about just about uh people who had survived child abuse and like like retribution for pedophiles like when i was like real angry about it and these were like painful songs like but i was allowed to express sadness and emotion and i was finally applauded for it people showed up to my shows and my band and and then when I started doing theater, it was a way I could play a character and channel that into it. And people would go, those same people would have made fun of me in conversation if I showed that heart or that or that vulnerability were now going, God, he's fucking good at this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that guy, that guy, oh wow. You know, it was like they couldn't take it directly from me, but as a character, yeah. Or as a musician, it was okay. And so it became an okay outlet for me. And a brilliant way of coping and surviving and adapting. I mean, it's just, ah, I'm so glad you had all those abilities to do that, man. Because yeah. who knows? Who knows? And that's, again, thank you so much for sharing all that. Because anybody out there who's struggling right now, who just needs an outlet, like if there's a way you can find that outlet so that you're not trapped in this powerlessness. I feel like so much at the root of trauma is powerlessness and it gives you that sense of empowerment. And and just, like, even if it's just uh, an audience of one, of yourself, in the mirror, you know, like, get it out. It does. And I will tell people those hard times, like, I mean, obviously, if, if you're struggling with, like, serious addiction and things like that, or, or like, organic, like, brain stuff that, that you know, that, that there's outliers to that. But, I mean, like, uh, but it, being able to talk to yourself and tell mm. yourself you're going to be okay. And like, yeah. if you have to rock yourself and say you're gonna <sighs> be okay, like I'm, say I'm here with you. You're not alone, uh, I'm here with you. Like, I do think there's a uh, real, like there's a real therapeutic power in that personally. I, I found a benefit from that during dark moments for sure. Thank you for sharing that. I have hammocks. Uh, I have a hammock addiction. I have hammocks. I have one in my yard. I, ha I, you know, I used to have one in my my meditation room. Uh, I have it in my car. There's something about being held by a hammock that feels sort of like this is again the solution to my program to become your own loving parent. But like, just yeah. Look at what we do Man, when we're sad. We grab a blanket. I love we curl being up. held by a hammock. Yeah, we like curl that. up. We do it when we're sad. We immediately bring our knees to our chest. We start like laying like this. That. That's because there is a comfort in curling up in a ball. That's it's very like I I think it, there's something connected to the womb like nature of it. Yeah, you know? that fetal. Yeah. So. And then and then do what did you call it? Uh, yoga yoga with consequences. I on the other side. <laughs> I can I, I can I I just real quick before we finish. I just want to say this. I when I was living in Los Angeles and I was doing a lot of uh, jujitsu out there as well during the time that we were filming this show 
Um, I was talking to my therapist at that time about, cause he really wanted to set up a program for people who, uh, have, or experienced sexual abuse, have lived through it, are processing the trauma of that and the effects of martial arts, uh, as a tool, one for like the somatic benefits, but also as a tool of empowerment. Like I can guarantee now, guarantee you that if I were in the same situation that I was when I was a kid, that would never fucking happen again. That will mm. not fucking happen again. It won't. There's a real power in knowing, like, I, yeah. at least on the physical side, can't protect myself mentally like this. It's not going to do it. But at least I know as physical empowerment. And that is a huge piece of not feeling physically vulnerable anymore. And I think there's a real power to that. And I've watched men, like really tough people, cry on the mat because they feel claustrophobic because someone sitting on their chest reminds them of something painful as a kid. Dude, I was wondering if I should try it because, I mean, my memory that came was being intermittently suffocated as an infant. And, I mean, whoo, I'm like thinking about that makes me feel like, oh, I don't know if I could do that, Ben. But I bet you it would be helpful if I could get through it. That's why I don't think you should be in a normal like school setting. But I think that his plan and the idea that we had talked about was to do classes with trauma in mind. And there are groups that have tried to do it. There was a great group called the Fire and Root Collective, which was a, a started by um, a Austin Dempers, this great person. Um, and basically was trauma informed yoga and self-defense. And it was all with the mind that, Hey, if somebody starts having a panic attack, let's stop. Let's help you work through it. What are the feelings you're feeling? Cause they're probably not going to do that at a jujitsu school. They're not going to be mean, but they're probably going to be like, do you want to sit on the side for a minute? But actually having somebody there to help you like work through it and be okay with it. Um, that's a huge thing being exposed to your fear of that. And especially for people who are victims of abuse, I think is a massive, it's a, it's a massive way to steal back some of what was taken from you. So, yeah. And well, and yeah. And what is continue, what continues to be stolen is the, when you dissociate in a, in a, in a PTSD or a complex PTSD response like that, you rob you get robbed. Like what you were saying earlier about it, bringing you into the present moment. This is where the joy is in life is in the present moment. In the past, it's, you know, it, it, you know, you're in anxiety, you're in fear, you're in terror, or the future anticipation of being attacked, blindsided, or whatever. You know, that's where the, the joy is in life, is in this present, this very present moment. Man, so I'm seeing where this could really help me personally and I have, others if I could have, find, I'm going to try and find that. I'm going to Google that, or if you know of anybody, I'll put it in the show links, because I think the idea of, like, having that, working through that, like, real physical feeling while like no staying present and nurturing like that, space. because that's what trauma therapy is all about is integrating and getting us back to the present moment yeah i have a i have a private student that i started like that started off taking privates from me very very stern person very uh emotionally very one of the most emotionally guarded human beings i'd ever met and after a couple times of of us very surface, just this is what we're doing. You know, we'd work stuff, you know, for an hour. The person finally told me their story and, and they were abused horrifically by their partner. And one point they thought they were going to die. Um, and they were like, this is it. 
they just gave in. And I remember this person <sighs> has been with us for a couple of years now. The change in this person's personality and recently they had to do some court stuff and I'm not going to get into details because I don't want to out this person in any manner, but they had to deal with some court stuff. And I said, the change of who you are from who you came like in as to now. And I said, like, it's so different. And she looked I like steel eyed, like eyes, like, and was like that, that situation would not go down the same way. There's no fucking way. And I was, and seeing that, like she found like I, I always say she found a wolf. She found the side of her. This person found the side of themselves that was like able to, to fight for themselves again. And we, you can't be truly pacifistic unless you understand violence because you're always, otherwise you're, you're at odds with the idea of violence. You, when you can accept it, you can truly choose the path of like, I don't want to do that. But if it presents itself in that now moment, it's not going to happen. Like I'm going to. You're going to stay present and make a conscious choice. And I'm going to survive. Versus going to fight, yeah. fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Nope. You know. I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to make the best possible choice. I'm going to make the best possible choice. Yeah. I am uh, inspired. I, I, I think you're an amazing human being and I've always loved you. And I think it's because of stuff like this and the fact that you took a oh. podcast and you know, you took the idea and you wanted to do this. I could literally do this. Like you and I set up like, remember Furbies where you just point them at each other and they just <laughs> like yeah. that. The, the phone that you talk to the phone. No, no. They were the like, Furby? they were two stuffed little animals that were mechanical <laughs> and they would, and if they were faced each other, they would talk to each other. There was some computer program in it. that They, they had recorders. I know. I, don't re- I sort of, I just remember one time I had a, a, a patient when I was doing home care visits in Hawaii who had a phone that looked like a stuffed animal. Yeah. It was a teddy bear and it would talk and it was the freakiest thing, but kind of anyway. So maybe who knows? I would love it if, uh, you know, you were semi-regular. Or, I mean, I don't yeah. dare say regular because you got so much going on. But I would love, I mean, obviously we could talk forever. I feel forever. Yeah, we could. Um, this is where I love, this is where I love talking is just stuff that matters. I love the funnies. Um, and I do want to, I may, uh, I may put in a little, you know, people, you should hear a little bit of a song, a little bit of uh, whatever. If you want to send me any clips, I may, you know, pepper them in there just so people get that flavor of the contrast of your of your conversation well, with your and art. Well, I'll send you, that's what I'm doing right now. I'll, I'll, I'll send you, I mean, I have a whole album about getting sober, so I'm sure I can find something related to and pain. You, <laughs> and you have a brand new special. I mean, we should just tell people, I mean, it's okay to talk about your, don't you have a brand new special out there? Yeah, I have a, a an hour stand-up special called Hyena. Uh, which is free to stream on YouTube. Uh, uh, the Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on NPR, the National Public Radio said it was one of the top 10 specials of the year. So it was wow. very, very flattering. But it's, uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, people can stream it now. But more importantly, you should go see Nancy Norton. You should go see live. <laughs> Uh, and go see your stand-up because your stuff is amazing and you're kicking yeah, ass. Yeah, this is my calling right now. And I mean, I love doing stand-up, but I'm mostly I'm doing like shows with nurses these days. I'm uh, helping nurses. Like, I mean, I call myself a healer for the healers. I'm just trying to help them stay at their job because they have so much burnout and stuff. Yeah. And I try to make the shows about them. Like they tell their stories and I'm kind of more of a facilitator. Yep. But thanks for, you're so sweet to like 
Throw it back to old Uncle Nance. Nah, go see Uncle, Uncle Nance. Go see Do the Uncle Nance dance. Uncle Nance is <laughs> it's so funny. And if you've not seen Uncle Nance live, you're missing out. Don't be an asshole. Go go <laughs> go see Uncle. Stop Nance. being such an asshole. Go see. Go Uncle see Nance. the UN, the real UN. <laughs> All right. I love you, Ben. I love you too. And I'm gonna. I am gonna. I might ping you about a jujitsu uh, lead if you have any. If you wanted I to actually, just hang out and try Christy, it. And- Christy Bukley. Lo- I mean, she's she loves doing i mean she gets up at five in the morning to go to jiu-jitsu i mean it's it is so important to her and you know she's one of my dearest friends and i i need to i need to figure it's, out i think i need to try it incredibly addicting it's uh it's silly and, and when you do it you're like is this this is it and then you get into it and it's a puzzle and and it's great for okay. the mind so come let's do All it right. but I love okay. you, and thank you for having me. I love you. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Right. Thank you for helping me with my technical stuff. Today. <laughs> Peace and love. Anytime. I'd like to thank my guest, Ben Roy. Check out his special Hyena on YouTube. Also, listen to his band, The Spells. Go see them live. Find them on their website. And wherever you get music, you can listen to the spells. As always, thank you, the listener, for helping be co-healers. This is peer-to-peer sharing. There's nothing better for expanding consciousness in my mind. So thank you for helping me heal myself. And I hope it's helping you process and integrate and just know you're not alone out there. You're not alone. Maybe you want to be alone. I don't know. But you're not. You're not. I want to thank my son, Nathaniel Norton, for this music. And know that if you're a nurse or healthcare worker or just love healthcare workers, I am doing shows called Nurses Off the Charts. Our next show is going to be actually this Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. If you hate football like I do, (laughs) you hate brain injuries and bad knees and I don't know, the violence. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I really don't hate football. I asked, It was an accident. I scheduled it on Super Bowl Sunday. Next, Nurses Off the Charts is February 11th at the Comedy Fort. And then we'll be in Colorado Springs March 28th. And then we're going to be back in Boulder March 29th. That's Nurses Off the Charts. I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to go to my link tree and you can get tickets and check it out. We, what we do is we share our stories from healthcare and get rid of vicarious trauma. Remember, no matter what, keep laughing and tune into Traumedy every Tuesday. New episodes every Tuesday. It's Traumedy Tuesdays. We need a little theme song. It's Traumedy Tuesdays. It's Traumedy Tuesdays. It's Traumedy, Traumedy, Traumedy Tuesdays. <laughs>